Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you have any interest in buying optics or have any glassing questions, whether it be tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, range finders, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747, that's extension 2, or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone at 602-399-3699. Guys, right now at GoHunt.com Insider, you can take advantage of the free trial. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott. You're going to be able to take advantage of a free trial of the Insider. GoHunt is always adding more value for their Insider members. They've now added real 3D maps as a part of Insider for no additional cost. What an incredible value. Very soon, they're going to have their mobile app up as well. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and sign up for a free trial. If you're already an Insider member, it's automatically part of your Insider membership. And you can just go to the Maps tab up at the top once you sign in as an Insider. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. To find out more, you can go to KUIU.com, Kuyu.com. They're a direct-to-consumer company. They sell everything off of the Kuyu.com website. I also do a lot of question and answer on my Instagram where I'm answering questions about guys wanting to know about gear about Kuyu, so tune into my Instagram. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Again, thanks to all the sponsors of my podcast. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got my friend Phil Kramer, Kramer Hunts on Instagram, on the line. Phil, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jay. Doing real good. Awesome. I look forward to having you on and talking today about coos deer specifically. I know you uh, were out pretty hard in the archery season, and we had talked about um, you know you going out and. Now we've progressed, and we, you know, we're in October here, and you just had some juniors hunts uh, last week, and then the, you know, the general hunts coming up uh, here pretty soon as well. What are you seeing out there as far as conditions, Phil? Jay, it's it's the driest I've ever seen it. Um, you know, as as far as grazers are concerned, there's still pretty decent shrubs and acorns and stuff like that that they can they can get food for, but. You know, as far as browse is concerned, as far as grazers, uh, it's rough. I mean, there's not a blade of grass out there that I would say has not been eaten by something. Um, you know, the all the dirt roads have lost all the fines and just ground down into powder. Um, the, the water conditions are, are very poor. And even in areas that have good permanent water, the feed's just not there. Um, you know, it's been consumed and been used up, so... The conditions in in southern Arizona, and even when I was up on some elk hunts and antelope hunts in northern Arizona, it, it's rough. It's it's bad. So. You know, yesterday I drove in from Colorado. I'd been gone since you know kind of May, and uh, came back uh, through Cayenta and Tuba City, and then down through Flagstaff. And you know, it was 82 degrees when we pulled into Flagstaff yesterday, and you know, all the way out there on the flats in the Navajo. I mean, there was not a blade of grass. 
And then as we came, you know, on the north side of flag coming up uh, 89A there, I mean, it was, it was really, really dry, really dry. I commented to my wife, you know, seeing it firsthand and, you know, then all the way down through Camp Verde and into Phoenix, it was just dry, dry, dry. Um, when you talk about, you know, grazers, browsers, what you're saying is the, the cattle have eaten everything off that's anywhere close to the water sources, the dirt tanks, uh, the windmills, the water tanks, what have you. And the browse is also getting abused because the cattle have, you know, they've basically eaten every piece of grass they could find. Is that what you're seeing as well as they've moved to the browse and, and you're seeing, you know, everything's looking, looking pretty dismal. It is Jay. Um, you know, typically around all the water sources, the, the cattle will just muck out the grass and everything. What's happened now is they've eaten all of that and now they're moving up onto the ridges and the tops of some of these mountains where typically your wildlife can get away from the cattle and, and find a little better feed. That's not the case now because the cattle are up there scrounging for what's left just along with the deer and the elk and everything else. And You know, I don't, I don't want to sound too pessimistic or anything or down in the dumps because there's still a lot of good opportunities out there. But the conditions are, are very poor and... You know, we, we haven't had rain in a long time, and they're coming into a pretty tough season where there's there's not a lot of upside for them. So um, it, it, it's pretty pretty tough out there right now. And like you said, it's hot. I just came off of a junior hunt um, in southeastern Arizona where it was getting up into 94, 95 every day, and the low was only 52 53 at night um you know you got to be really careful with meat um not a lot of activity during the day and so on and so forth it's just we need summer to end and, and get into some fall and winter here for us yeah for sure so coming off this juniors hunt um you talk about the roads just being powder um what would you say dirt tanks that normally have water? I mean, do they have any water at all? Or would you say most of the dirt tanks in Southern Arizona that you drive by, say, go into your deer spots where they, you know, what was the condition they were in? 90% of them are dry. Um, I also talked to a couple local ranchers that I've known for a long, long time. And they said they kind of saw and have seen the same thing on their ranges where 90% of their dirt tanks are dry. Uh, they're relying mainly on um, all solar-powered wells and windmills and that sort of thing for their water sources for their livestock. So with the juniors hunt that you had last weekend and knowing those conditions being, you know, hot and dry, um, how were the deer acting, you know, were, were you doing anything specific to try and find deer as far as looking in certain areas? Um, talk a little bit about that. From what, um, I could see and, and for the people who have the general hunts coming up, um, you know, I, I would focus around any water sources you can find. Uh, you're going to have your best opportunities within a mile, mile and a half of those water sources. I, I noticed that the majority of the deer we were hunting compared to where they normally are at, they're down lower, um, closer to water sources that typically they would be further away from and up a little higher in the mountain ranges, unless you know of some good springs or uh, seeps that, that have water and you've confirmed they have water, uh, you have to be around those water sources. The other thing is with the heat that I was experiencing on the hunts last weekend, 
um, you know, you had a really good activity from daylight until I would say eight thirty, nine o'clock. And then is basically just nothing moving. Um, even typically where you'd see them get up in the middle of the day, they, they might stand up and change positions and lie right back down. They, they just weren't putting on any movement. They weren't doing any feeding, um, until right before dark again. And that was even with no moon, you know, we, we had just finished a, a full moon and coming into a no moon period when I was out there. And even with that, the, the daylight activity was very, very slow. Typically, if you could bet a buck, you had all day to make a move because the buck wasn't moving. Um, he was going to stay there. So it worked good once you found him, um, but it was tough to find him. You had to you had to be on your A game early. Did you notice that if you betted them, that potentially they could lay and com- until complete dark and actually not even get up? Or did your bucks, because you didn't have much moon, they were kind of getting up that last 30 minutes? Um, almost all the deer that I, I was able to put eyes on, they were getting up anywhere between an hour and 45 minutes before the last light of the afternoon. And as soon as they got up, they didn't mess around. They went straight to eating and almost everything I was watching was eating leaves, um, you know, off of shrubs and, and young growth. Uh, there just wasn't any grass for them to eat. And it's almost like they knew that they had to take advantage of that little bit of cooler period to, uh, get their groceries that's for sure phil you know um we've talked about on the podcast and i've also talked a lot of it on my instagram trying to tell people you know help people not tell people but help people that are cooster hunting to try and understand that you know glassing in the afternoon with the sun at your back is not the thing to do glass with the sun at your face and be looking into the shady side of the hill um talk a little bit about that and if you saw that play out last uh, week on the juniors hunt oh 100 percent, jay um the way i look at it is if you're comfortable you're not glassing in the right direction uh, my wife actually commented when i got home she said how come every uh you know trophy picture you have you're you're all red and sunburned and i told her it's because my face is constantly in the sun because i'm looking into the shady side of a hill and not just glassing into it, like once we found a buck and they were they moved into an area we couldn't see, like you didn't have to second guess it. You knew exactly which side of that hill they were going to be on. And we planned our stalks that way. We planned our glassing strategies that way. We even planned the direction that we would hike in and out of the country because those deer, as soon as that sun got up, they, they were moving to shade. Um it was like clockwork every morning you know as soon as the sun would come up you'd find them kind of out in the open feeding and they weren't there for very long i mean within an hour hour and a half that sun would be up you could bet every one of those deer was headed to a shady side of the ridge which is typically the north facing slopes Um, a lot of that northeastern side of the ridges you could catch them in and they didn't move i mean they they were there all day and it's hot, you know, they don't want to move, water's limited, and uh, they're definitely conserving resources. So everything that you've taught your Instagram listeners and followers about that, I mean, it hit home and it hit home big time, especially when we have the conditions like we do this year. Um, It's just key. You have to focus on that country. The other thing that I kind of notice this year more than ever on some of these early coos deer hunts or the heat waves, how bad the heat waves were getting. You know, we 
we have the best glass we money can buy but once those heat waves get up and going it's just really difficult so you have to get in and, and try and get as close as you can to really pick those shady pockets apart um, because the heat waves start distorting everything and it makes it that much more difficult yeah for sure and and every time i kind of talk about you know glassing into the shade in the afternoon I have to go over it time and time again, so I want to just talk a little bit, um, and it, feel free to jump in here. What I try and do is focus on where is the shadiest part of the mountain in the afternoon. So when I look at a mountain range, or if I look at a certain, let's just say, chain of hills that I want to hunt, I go, okay, I'm going to look up here, and consistently, day after day, where is the heaviest, the most densest, the shadiest part of that hill? And I, you know, I say, okay, that's the shade pocket that day after day is the shadiest. Okay, this is kind of shady, but it's not deep, dark, and shady. And then once I can, it, it blows my mind sometimes when I go back to the basics of on this whole chain of mountains, if I had to pick one spot that's the shadiest spot. So in other words, once, once the sun comes up in the morning, and if I were personally trying to seek the the if you will, the coolest, shadiest spot that gets the least amount of sun, where would that be? And if I specifically focus my glassing and start and focus on those spots, the shadiest spots, and there's some that are kind of shady and, you know, shadier, but I'm talking about the shadiest spots. That's where I find the most deer. And even, I mean, I can look on a topo map never been to a spot and say, I'm going to go in, I'm going to get 500 yards from that shady, you know, dark hillside. And I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to pick it apart all afternoon. And I, I've done it in Mexico too, where I don't even, you know, I don't even, I just go, where's the shadiest spot. I'm going to go get five, 600 yards from that. I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to pick it apart. And that's where all the deer are. And, you, bet. Um, you know, but what's interesting about that side of the hill, which you say the North facing slopes, you know, a lot of times in the morning, you can be looking at that hillside and the sun is actually, you know, those northeast slopes and east slopes, the sun is actually shining right on them. So then you say, okay, well, that deer after an hour, you know, of, of the sun being up is getting pounded by the sun. So where's he going? He's kind of going to those northeast facing slopes, which th the least amount of sunshine shines on that hill every day. Um, and and it, if, if you guys are listening out there, I know I've, it feels like I've beat a dead horse, but if you truly just focused on shady hillsides the entire hunt, I promise you, you're going to see more deer than, you've, than you're seeing on the sunny side. And you will hardly ever find me, maybe in January when the rut is full on, but you'll hardly ever find me glassing with the sun at my back in the afternoon um, because I'm looking on the wrong side of the hill and I'm missing 90% of the deer. Yep. yep. And, and the, the other thing I'd like to add to that is typically on those north facing slopes, those northeast facing slopes is where you're going to get your thicker vegetation, yes. your denser vegetation, your older growth trees. And that was one thing, um, you know, I had a junior hunter out there with me and I was explaining to him, that where we go in the morning is not where we're going to stay because where we go in the morning, we're trying to hit the highest 
possibility of where the deer will be out feeding. And what that meant is then we had to take a pretty long hike to get around that mountain to be able to look back into where the deer go to bed. And it, it was just like, I mean, just like they read the script because we knew what their activity was going to be like and we knew where they were headed. And sure enough, we closed the gap. We got onto that. We were actually on the south facing slope looking into the north facing slope. And then we were able to start picking deer up bedded because they were there. They were in the shade. That's where they felt comfortable. And also, you know, being a thicker vegetation, it was easier for them to get up and immediately start browsing on the shrubs and everything else that was around there without exposing themselves to that unrelenting sun that was out there this last weekend. So For sure. What did you find as far as pressure? Uh, obviously, on the junior hunts, it probably wasn't as much. But, I mean, did you notice dry conditions created feel like more people pressured in, in certain spots or not? I, I felt like the easier access spots um, were getting hammered uh, more so than usual. And I think that could be because the water's concentrated and it concentrates the hunters, it concentrates the deer and a little bit of everything else. That being said, we were on a junior hunt um, in a multi-unit draw down in southeastern Arizona. So in other words, a junior could put in for that hunt and hunt, I think, three or four different units. And it wasn't any antler deer. Um, you know, my hunter chose to hunt whitetail. Uh, so we, we really had it to ourselves. I did meet uh, one gentleman who was out scouting for a general hunt later. But other than that, we really didn't have a lot of pressure that was in the area we were hunting. But you could tell everywhere that you went that was easy access or near a water source had been pounded. Um, you know, the roads were powder, the... The tracks were all over from people and side-by-sides and quads and everything else. And um, You know, I think the general hunt's going to be a little tougher for some. Uh, unless you have a secluded water source that's picked out, I, I think it's going to congregate the hunters, and just like it has the deer, and there's going to be some competition out there. Phil, we, I got a question here from an Instagram a follower, and he said, found a shooter coos three weeks ago high in a bowl what are the chances of them being there on friday from a guy like yourself who glasses a ton and you know has hunted southern arizona a lot for coups but also runs a lot of cameras in your opinion if he's finding a shooter three weeks ago so you know he's talking at you know the end of september um what are the chances of that buck being there friday what would you tell him oh he'll be there um, he'll, he'll be within four or 500 yards of where he saw him three weeks ago, unless the water source has significantly changed and he has to leave to get more water. He's not going anywhere. Um, but they typically, after they get out of their summer pattern, they'll be right where they're at from, you know, the beginning, middle of September, all the way through typically the end of November. Um, I, th- I think one of the things, too, to reiterate what you're saying, I couldn't agree more, and I think that's what I told him, is he'll be right there within four or 500 yards of that exact spot, is you have to go in, and other than like what Phil says, if for whatever reason his water source dried up, that's the only reason that I could see that he potentially moved, or if he, you know if a predator came in and really moved in that area that moved him, I still think he's going to be right there in that spot, but I hear about it every year and I've seen it, I've seen it myself and I've gone through the mental struggle myself of, you know, the bucks there, but you don't see him. So you think he's not there. So you leave. What I can tell you is from experience, if you know, the buck is there and you've seen him, 
if you literally force yourself to just stay there until you find them, you will most of the time, I would say 95% of the time, you will find that buck. Curious your thoughts, Phil. Couldn't agree more, Jay. Um, you know, now granted, this is kind of a little little shorter example, but um, out there on the junior hunt the first morning, um, we get out there and I glass up two bucks and one of them's a shooter. Um, I show my buddy, uh, my junior hunter there through my phone scope and he's like, oh yeah, I want that buck. Well, they fed over a ridge. I said, it's okay. I said, we'll, we'll be very, we'll play this very, very cautiously. We're not going to go in there too close. We don't want to take a chance on bumping them out and they'll be right back here the next morning. And of course he was skeptical, you know, and, and young and, and wanted to go in there after him. I said, no, I said, let's, let's just spend the day hunting and we'll come back here in the morning. That buck will be right there. We came back in the that next morning and that buck was with a, within a hundred yards of where we had spotted him the day before. Yeah. And that's just the way coos deer are. Um, I mean, unless something significantly changes or they get bumped hard, they will be in the same area. Um, they're homebodies. And, and speaking of homebodies, you have to be mentally disciplined and, and the, you know, the best coos deer hunters that I've been around that i've seen hunt that i've talked to that i've done podcasts with they all say the same thing you know you have to be mentally tough and disciplined to say that buck is right there i know he is and i can go three or four or five days and not see him knowing that he's right here and you just keep pounding the same pocket from different angles just keep you know just keep looking at a little different you know from a little different spot and just keep working 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 and looking in there and you'll find him um, Phil, uh, let me see. I've got another question here that I wanted to ask you that someone was asking me. While you're looking for it there, Jay, to reiterate what you just said, it, it can be that the hardest thing in the world to continue to look for something that you cannot see and your mind starts playing tricks with you and you you keep saying no i've covered every inch of that he must have moved he must have left something must have happened but if you can stay tough and just believe that he's there you will find him Um, time in and time again it has happened and you get to the point where you're almost like there's no way possible he's still here and that's when they appear um, you just have to keep pounding it and pounding it and pounding it. And, and sure enough, they'll be there. The, there was a question what to expect of coos deer movement with this drought. Uh, that was a question. Your thoughts on, are the deer moving more or less in a drought? I, I think they're moving quite a bit less once they get in an area where that has water and they can get some feed. Um, they're, they're no different than anything else. And, and they can tell that the conditions are tough. They're, they're a little stressed. And they understand the more they move, the more they exert, is it's not good for them. And the more water they have to get, the more food they have to consume to replace the basically the calories they've burnt. So, and I, I saw this last week too, is that they just they're not moving much. Um, they're staying closer to the water sources. Uh, they're not moving much during the day when it's super hot, and they're moving very little even at prime time morning and evening um they're basically focusing in on the food and the water and that's it they're not you don't see them messing around you don't see them going from point point a to point b unnecessarily um well and if you think about it if if 
you know, there's less water and they have to be closer to water. Predators also key in on that. And so the more they move, the more they put themselves in a vulnerable situation. So it makes total sense that they are smart enough to realize that, hey, I need to not move around here until things change. And, you know, I've got my water, I've got my food, but the more I move around, the, the better chance because they know the predators are also stuck you know, jammed up where everything's concentrated. I think it just makes complete sense that they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to lay pretty low until things change. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask you about seeing bucks versus seeing does. I get a lot of questions, you know, people saying, well, I saw, you know, 39 does, but I didn't see a single buck. If, if there's an area where you're seeing, well, let me back up. Are there areas that you see too many does and you yourself go something's wrong i need to move talk a little bit about you know the number of bucks and the number of does and what makes you feel uneasy if you see one or one or the other too much or the other well i will say this year's a little bit different than normal years where they're more concentrated around water sources that being said there there's areas that i call nurseries and that's where you you just get into an area and you see nothing but does yearlings fawns and you're just not finding any bucks and and that's typically in areas where the feeds a little easier to get to that's a little more open could even be an area that's easier for people to get to and there's more human activity and those are typically areas that you can tell right away. I mean, you're just seeing a bunch of deer, but you're not seeing any bucks. And like I said, I call them nurseries, and it's time to get out of it. you got to move. You might not have to move far. It might be a half a mile. It might just be the other side of the ridge, but you need to move because the bucks just aren't there. And usually in Arizona, typically the bucks won't be there until the middle to end of January. Um, so for sure get get out of that zone and find a new area to spend your time looking well as i said to start that the answer to that question this year's a little bit different in the fact that it's concentrating the deer just due to the conditions so like this last weekend i was in an area where i seen multiple does and yearlings and still a fair amount of bucks um and that's just because they were closer to the water sources and the areas that they had feed were a lot more limited. So they were, they were closer together, plain and simple. And that's just due to the conditions we have. So you will find both. Um, but typically if all you're seeing is does, you better move. Let's talk about, you run a lot of trail cameras in the summer as far as antler growth. Uh, some Southern Arizona coos, in your opinion, are we below average, average or above average as far as antler growth? So uh, I ran cameras, um, and I'll just throw out some units that I had cameras in this year to kind of give your listeners an idea uh, what I, the conditions I saw and what I've seen this summer um, in southern Arizona. And, you know, it's 29, 30A, 30B, 31, and 32 um, kind of spread out through those units. And I would say the antler growth for coos are average. Uh, I wouldn't say it's above average. I wouldn't say it's below average. What I did notice this year on the majority of the bucks that I have history with is the extras were less, whereas last year we had pretty good moisture going in through the winter and into the spring that carried us on. Um, almost every buck had a cheater, an extra, and a, a time here or there, whereas this year very few of them did. Um, they were mainly 
more of the typical can antler configuration they didn't sprout the split eye guard near as much they didn't sprout sprout the cheaters that i saw last year so based off of those observations and what i've seen and then carried even into last week when i was out there with uh, the junior hunters um I, I would call it average you know I'd, I'd like to say it was better but it's just not jake it's average year um are you noticing any more with it being dry are you noticing more or less activity um on your cameras uh than normal this time of year uh by far less um i it actually got less i was expecting a, a pretty good uptick which i had on the one or two very few isolated storms we had in certain areas and then i expected it to kind of continue to pick up and it just didn't um the deer really never seemed to get into full swing of their summer mode is what i would call it and what i've seen here recently is like a lot of the bucks even kind of got lazy to the point where they weren't rubbing their horns all the way clean um you know it very lackluster <laughs> uh in their activity um and I, I i can't attribute it to anything else and it's just a simple fact that it's hot and dry and the deer feel it just like you and i do and don't you talk about i mean we've talked about on some of these um podcasts where you're talking about some of the salts and stuff that you've had for years and years and years when there's a rain almost like clockwork the next day the next couple days they're right there licking but if if it's dry they're not licking is it am i remembering that correctly you bet and and they won't it's not necessarily they won't lick it's just their activity slows way down you get a rain and they might be on that lick four five six seven times throughout a 24-hour period the same buck i never saw that this year um even in a couple of areas where we got some decent activity i was fortunate enough to be there and we had some rains i'm sorry and we had really good activity the next day or two but the rains were so spotty and central you know localized in certain areas that it wasn't widespread that a lot of my licks just never got the frequent activity or the repeat visits from bucks that it normally does it made it for a pretty difficult archery season and i think we're going to see some of that in the deer's conditions throughout this year um i don't think they got quite the nutrients that they needed um fortunately most of their antler growth was far enough along that it really didn't stun them that bad but i think their body conditions are going to be less uh favorable i think we're going to see less fat when deer are harvested um you know i i think we're going to see the effects of this two to three years down the road do you think if things don't change that it could affect the rut um you know late december early january uh dramatically or do you think that the coos deer will it won't affect them like it does say mule deer elk i I do believe it'll affect them i don't want to say it'll affect them drastically um you know as your some of your guests that have talked on the podcast before about the elk rut um you know is very lackluster and the cows just weren't feeling good enough shape to really come into estrus and on time anyway or, or get the big rut Fortunately, with the coos deer, they're a lot smaller-bodied animal, and they require less nutrients than, say, a full-grown cow elk does. That being said, I think it's going to be spotty. I think we'll see pockets of really intense rutting activity with the coos deer in you know, late December, early January, late January. But I don't think it's going to be widespread. I don't think you're going to see that 
two or three canyons in an area where the deer are just going bonkers. I think it's going to be a pocket here. It's going to be a pocket there. And I think it's going to make hunting a little bit difficult when you're trying to focus in on that rut. The one thing it should do is it should limit the amount of broken antlers. Um, so on a positive side, you might have more intact bucks later throughout the year than typically you would. But I think it, I think the rut's going to suffer a little bit from it. I want to hop back to something you had said earlier on in the podcast. You talked about getting around the country and using different access, ingress, egress, you know, and, and what I took from that is you may walk on an open slope on a south facing slope and just, you know, basically walk up or walk down that slope because you know, the deer are not on that side where you would not do that on a thick north facing hillside because you know that likely the majority of deer are going to be on that north slope in other words you could get into a piece of country and get out of a piece of country by walking up a south facing slope that's typically in southern arizona a yellow grass looking open slope and disturb way way less deer than say if you chose to go up a spine up the north facing slope going to the same point did I hear you correctly? And that's how you choose to access country as you, you walk more on those open slopes. You bet. You bet. Um, you know, it, it, especially if you can get to an area and you can glass it and then the sun gets up pretty high in the sky, you know, that on that South facing slope, that open grass, you've already looked at it. There's nothing there. Um, so even though it might be a little longer for me to get around to a certain point that I want to look at, I'm going to go down that way because I'm not, number one, I'm not going to spook any deer. And number two, I've already covered it. There's not going to be any surprises between the point A to point B that I need to get to, to really focus in and start picking apart country. Um, I, I call it hunt smarter. You know, it might be a little harder, but it's the dividends are going to pay off. Um, even the gentleman I ran into that was out there scouting, we talked a little bit and I asked him how he came up to the point that we were on. And he told me, I said, oh man, and I said, going back, I said, just, you know, go a hundred yards on the other side of that ridge and you're going to be in an open, basically trail to be able to go back to the same spot that you just came from, except for you're not going to beat brush. You're not going to spook anything and you're going to have a good, easy walk out. So it's definitely important to think about and kind of plan your hunts that way. And it makes it for typically where you're not running into animals that you're blowing out that number one, either what I call the rodeo happens when you're trying to get them in a scope or get a junior hunter on them or whatever. But also you get an opportunity then to go set up where you need to be and really pick apart the country without having anything busted out of it. I want to ask you just kind of a logistical question on this hunt. The, the last junior's hunt and this hunt coming up. So we're dealing with October coos deer hunting in Southern Arizona or Arizona. I mean, there's going to be hunts all over central Arizona as well. Um, normally to get to your glassing point, you know, are you walking in gray light? Are you walking when it's light? Are you walking with the headlamp in the dark? What, what is your thought process in where you want to be set up? You know, obviously it differs from, you know, ridge to ridge wherever you're going to hunt but in general what is your game plan as far as strategy for setup and being ready um in general and especially on these early hunts i want to be to where my glass is set up and i'm ready to start utilizing it as soon as it gets gray light 
In other words, I'm walking to where I want to be with a headlamp, and I'm set up before it ever gets light. Now, sometimes things happen where you just can't obtain that. Maybe you pull up and there's someone in your spot, and that doesn't mean your day's ruined. However, if you have your choice and you have the ability, especially on the early hunts, I want to be where I'm at, where I set up, ready to start glassing as soon as the gray light starts to appear. And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, it's hot, and it makes it more enjoyable for me to hike up there. But number two, the deer, they're not going to be up on their feet that long. So I want to take advantage of that short window of activity and be where I'm set up and ready to go instead of hiking up to where I want to be and wasting that good glassing opportunity. Um, it means you get up a little bit, but let's face it, in the middle of the day, there's not going on. So fight a shade tree and take a nap if you have to. But it pays dividends to be up and where you need to be set up before it ever gets light on these early hunts, especially a little later in the year when the activity is more and it's cooler and the deer seem to be on their feet more. It's not quite as important. I don't think because you have just as good a chance of seeing something as you're hiking in this time of year. I'm, I'm not wasting that time. I'm, I'm going to be behind my glass before that sun comes up over the hill. Okay. Let's take it a step further. Let's say you're up there glassing and let's say you spot a target buck. Um, what is your standard protocol for how you react to, okay, I've got a buck that, you know, either your junior hunter, whoever, your hunter that's with you or yourself, whatever that you want to shoot. What are things that go through your head? So typically if I can, I want that buck to bed before I make a move. Um, the hard part is where they're feeding when you first spot them at that first light in the morning likely is not going to be the exact same spot they bed so then what i start doing is okay where are they going to go to where they don't have to get up throughout the day and be in shade the rest of the day typically that means they're going to go to the north facing slope a lot of times that means they're going to go over the ridge away from where i can see them and that that makes it hard because if you as soon as you lose eyes and you that you lose sight of that buck your chances of successfully killing him go way down However, if you know the deer's movements and what they should do, you can start limiting places where they're not going to go. In other words, I know he's not going to go all the way across that wide open hillside and lay down there. So I start looking over, okay, he's likely going to go over the ridge and bed somewhere there. Then I start planning my attack. How can I get to where I can see in there without spooking him? And it makes it difficult. However, I found that if you can bed the buck, especially when as hot as it is this time of year, as dry as it is, he's not going to move the rest of the day. That takes the pressure off of you to try and rush something, to try and bump him. And let's face it, say it doesn't happen, if you don't bump him, he's going to be back in that same spot you spotted him that morning. So I take it more of a, a cautious approach to it, and it's paid dividends for me. I hate trying to make a move on a buck when they're on their feet. Typically, the only time I'll do that is when they're rutting or pre-rut when they're covering a lot of country because they might not be there two hours later in the same, you know, zip code. They might move somewhere else. However, on these early hunts, they're typically going to be within that same area that you spot them. So I wait for them to bed, and if they go out of sight, then I start planning my attack to get into there and look into the areas that they should be bedded. Nine times out of ten, you're going to be able to find them again. Yeah, that's good stuff. I might add a couple things here. That's where if you're hunting with a buddy and let's say you guys are together 
and you both, you know, like, okay, I got a buck over here and he's going across and he's going to drop. You just know he's going to drop over on the north facing slope. What I would recommend there is keep one guy there watching that slope in case for whatever reason he doubles, you know, he crosses over into the shady side, but he doesn't like something and he comes back over. But get your other buddy over into position, even if it's going to, you know, take him an hour or two to get over there, have him start and get over into position. Or if you're glassing in a situation where your buddy is on the backside of that ridge, which is a lot of times what darn I like to do is get where if I spot something that's say on a south facing ridge and I know he's going to top over or think that, you know, he's going to do what we, you know, go to the north facing shady slope. Dar's already on the back side of that. And if you're in a state, which Arizona is, where you can use radios, you can say, hey, Dar, I got a buck. He's headed at this ridge. You should pick him up. And then, boom, all of a sudden, you've got a situation where your spotter or your, your hunting companion is on the other ridge. And he's like, I got him. Get o- Now, Jay, you get over here. One thing I will say is if the buck is kind of at the top of the ridge, sometimes it's best for you both to just kind of keep eyes and if Dar saying, Jay, he's kind of acting like he's going to pop back over the ridge, then you've got him. But then yep. once once he tops down into the north-facing slope and let's say Dar's on him, or you know, I just say Dar because I hunt with him a lot, my hunting companion is on him, uh, then he, you know, he's working his way down kind of into the thicker part of the ravine. You can go ahead and move, and then all of a sudden you bounce around and get over to him. Sometimes you know, that buck may feed for another 30 minutes or an hour and you actually can get a shot at the buck, um, you know, before he beds for the day. Um, and then take that even a step further. Once that buck beds up, there may be a situation where that spotter, let's, you know, let's say Dar's on the opposite ridge. And he's like, I got the buck. You need to start moving over here. I get over to Dar and he says, okay, I got him bedded, but you're not in shooting range. So now what would happen in that situation is either I would move advance closer to where the buck is or Dar would move, but one of us would stay in that exact position to make sure that that buck didn't get up. Phil, what you said about keeping your eyes on a buck and your chances of killing that buck, I can't reiterate more that, you know, if you can keep eyes on the buck or keep eyes on where the buck is bedded, in other words, to guarantee that that buck did not get out of there and then advance your shooter into a closer position where, okay, now the shooter's in position, I've got my binos up and we're looking at the same rock and the same yucca plant and the same mesquite tree and okay, now Dar, you can come to me or now Dar, you can go to another point to get a different angle because now we know where the buck is that's also a deadly tactic of you know getting multiple eyes into position where if that buck wiggles at all you're going to see him that's how you can efficiently get you know bucks killed when you get your eyes on them but i can't tell you how i had to learn the hard way of you know oh I, i see a buck he just topped over and then i make my move and guess what he popped back over the ridge came down and bedded right underneath me and if I would have just stayed on it a little bit more and been a little bit more patient and watched them actually bed or lay down or guaranteed watching that south facing slope that he did not come back over. So I'm 99% sure he's still on that north facing slope. 
your probability when you get over there, even if it's a couple hours, the probability is that he's there is very, very high. It's it's funny, Jay. I'm sitting here shaking, nodding my head yes <laughs> to everything you're saying. Um, you, you touched on a couple key points there that I'd like to to bring back up. Is is one even when I'm hunting by myself or even with a pot partner, if they, that buck goes over, I don't immediately load up my stuff and take off. Um, I've seen it too many times where he's gone over, even if it's just to check the wind and smell, and then he pops back over to your side. Um, I've seen them do that a lot of times. So even when they go over and you know that they're going to a certain spot, I always give it a look good 30 minutes to an hour to let them do whatever they're going to do and then make my move if they haven't come back over to my side. Um, you know, a lot of times I'm out there and I don't have a, a buddy with me. It's just me and a hunter, just me by myself. And you don't have that luxury of getting someone else around, but if you can, and you get that guy in position, you know, to where he can see where that deer beds. Uh, you you've just increases your chance of success by tenfold. Um, it, it's huge if you can do that. And the biggest thing is if you have the ability and you find a buck you want to shoot to not take your eyes off of him, that's key. And even if it's just for a minute, if you think, oh, I'm going to stand up and go over here and you get back and that buck's gone. And then your mind starts going, okay, did the buck bed down? Did the buck leave the area? Did something spook him? And you don't know. Right. And the worst thing in the world is Not to have known. your hunting partner making this huge stock. And he says, okay, is the buck still there? And you go, I think so. Well, what do you mean you think yeah. so? You know, I mean, uh, that's tough. But, and, and guys, you can't, you know, forget that for sure. You need to keep your eyes on a buck once you decided it's one you want to kill and just do not take your eyes off of it especially if you're the spotter yeah and i think that's part of you know you you end up i know i know i have over over time weeding through good hunting partners and knowing without a shadow of a doubt if your hunting partner says i know the buck's in there i watched him go in that thicket and even though we can't see him i know that my hunting partner has not taken his eyes off i'm talking not gotten his pack, not take, you know, taking a leak, whatever he's had to do, he has not taken his eyes off of that spot. So when he says it's in that thicket and the sun's just beating on you and you, you know, or the wind's blowing or whatever, and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, we're going to have to sit here for six hours. You just know that, Hey, that buck's in there. You're in position. You have to trust that your hunting partner didn't, didn't do any, make any mistakes. And um, your your efficiency and your success level uh, when you can when you can rely on hunting partners like that goes goes way up. Uh, Phil, I've bent your ear uh, long enough. I appreciate all of your tips and and uh, your forecast. Um, you know all all the stuff you've shared with us today. I want to talk a little bit about Mexico. Um, looks like Mexico is as bit, if not even more dry than we are in Arizona, if that's even possible. Um, I will say a bunch of the ranches, my stuff in Northern Sonora, we're actually doing pretty good. I thought Gould's turkey season that the country looked about as good as I've seen it, uh, on those, you know, April and May, uh, timeframe hunts for the turkeys. Uh, your thoughts on the desert and the dry conditions down there uh, for the coos here in Mexico? 
Well, down down in the desert flats, um, you know, where the ranches are that I hunt and, and have, it's it's bad. Uh, you know, the conditions are probably worse than I've ever seen it. And talking to um, some of the ranch owners as well as uh, our Mexican outfitter that I work with, he said it's the worst he's seen it in 32 years as far as rain's concerned. Um, that being said, uh, I think we talked about it on a previous podcast where my partner and I put in quite a few drinkers and we needed to basically ensure that our deer had water they could count on year round and water that wasn't going to be consumed by cattle or dry up. We couldn't have had our timing on that work out any better um, because we put pretty good investment into that. Um, we got some of the cowboys on board with making sure those water drinkers were filled. The storages were full and it looks like it paid off um, because we do have water where in most years we would not. And it, it's going to be very important. As we've talked about before, that also congregates the predators. Um, so we've tried to up our, our predator, predator control a little bit um, in areas that we've had a, the opportunity to do so. And as you know, we sit water down there on those desert ranches, and I'm pretty excited with our opportunities to what we might be able to kill and, uh, you know, see some of the bucks that might show up that have kind of been dispersed with the good rains we've had the last couple of years. So I guess to answer the, the question, Jay, the conditions are very poor uh, as far as dry and how, you know, lack of water there is. But on the other hand, when you're focusing on hunting water, you can't help but be excited, and that's what I am. Um, here in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go down, uh, set as many cameras okay, as I can. Okay, wait a minute. The last time I talked to you, you <laughs> swore you were not going to go down early season, and you were just it was just not going to do it. But I understand the conditions have changed, so you're going to do it, aren't you? Uh, I'm going to do it. Um, I'm not going to do it in October. So I told you I wouldn't go back in October. That's right. You so. did say October, so you you, you weren't completely lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, we're going to go down the first week in November. So and, mark uh, your calendars. The biggest rainstorm you've ever seen come to Arizona is going to hit about the first week of November. Yep, that's my luck for sure. For sure. <laughs> so by nah, setting those cameras, you're you feel like with the lack of water around, with the waters you've put in, you're actually probably going to retain bucks that that won't go wandering off of your ranches, even though they're giant ranches. You get some of those areas that are, you know, on the fence lines and stuff that they may wander. You feel like you're going to retain some of those bucks, and from an inv inventory standpoint, you think it, you know, potentially November, you know, mid December, it could be phenomenal if it stays dry, just from a gathering intel perspective. I do, I do, and that's kind of what we're counting on. That's why we're going down early um, to try and get those cameras on the water sources, as well as to, you know, do a little work as far as what our feed situation is. Um, what our water situation is we might as go as far as put in a couple more enclosures and try and get another drinker to put up um, and get out some more predator control while we're down there and try and do it early so that way they have water they can continue to count on and we have pictures and intel coming in as soon as possible some of the drinkers we've had cameras on and we're just dying to get out there and check them um, see what the activity's been but more so get more cameras out and and i think we're going to actually have a better opportunity to get a better more accurate inventory of the bucks that we have 
the potential of harvesting this year just due to the lack of water. And um, you're okay with the fact that if bucks are even wa- watering at night where your pictures are at night, your goal in the, in this strategy of early November going down there is in essence really just trying to get a picture or get a photo or get a video regardless yep. if it's during the day or if it's at night. Whereas, you know, in January it just kills you when you're getting those night photos. You're just trying to say what bucks are here. Exactly. I just want to know what the potential is. Right. Um, you know, I've been known to get one picture and, and hunt 13 days after one deer. Uh, but if you don't get that picture, you don't know he's there. And all you need is the one picture to be able to determine, yes, this is a shooter. No, this is not a shooter. And move on. Um, you know, our time's limited. Uh, I wish I could say we had all the time in the world, but we don't. So you want to make your the most of your time. And when you're targeting, you know, the top bucks, the older age class bucks, the best trophy potential bucks that you can, you want to be in the right spot at the right time. And without that picture, you don't know where that is. So I don't care if it's night, middle of the day, middle of the night, whatever, as long as I get the intel. And then we'll deal with the daylight, nocturnal, whatever it might be later on once we know they're there. I know I told you I'd let you go, but I do have um... – quick question you have <laughs> i've been sending you texts asking if you'll adopt me but you have a razor and you also have a general i'm curious if you would give us the rundown of the general versus the the razor and the performance and what you like better and blah 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 you bet you bet and and yes i do have both um that being said let me let me clarify my razors here's where he razor. starts justifying it this is a, but it's it's yeah okay go ahead but anyway it's a 2013 it's a four seat 900 um obviously i modified it to where it had plenty of storage for hunting and and what's not and everything when i first got that my friends gave me a hard time said what are you doing buying that machine that's built for the dunes and i said there's a couple reasons one it's it's quiet um you know it doesn't have a real loud exhaust but the suspension on it was amazing it did not beat me up traveling in the woods whereas a lot of times a ranger or something else with quite not quite as soft a suspension or as long a travel would be a lot harder on you going up and down the hills Especially in Mexico, I spent a lot of time in my side-by-side, um, setting cameras, covering ranches, doing everything I can to get from point A to point B as fast as I can and get more use out of the day. So that's why I had the Razor. Um, there were drawbacks to it. You know, it wasn't quite as capable off-road in a true 4 by 4 situation as, say, a Ranger. Well, this last year they came out with, Polaris did, came out with the General XP, which gives you a long travel suspension it gives you higher ground clearance they beef up the a-arms they do some things that are basically and and our mutual friend there um, nick he basically put it this way he said it's a hybrid between a ranger and a razor and with that i was like I've, i've got to give this a try i've got to see what it's all about so i went ahead and got a new general um and so far, I've been really impressed with it. It has a suspension that my Razor does, but it has a, the 4x4 off-road qualities that your Ranger does. And has a now bigger that, bed. It has a bigger bed. It, it's a true four-door machine. It doesn't have the bench, so it's it's a true four-seat machine. You know, you can't sit the six guys. 
but then I just recently put a rack on it and it, you know, the storage in it is amazing. Underneath every seat has storage. It's got two consoles. It's got a glove box. And then I just added the rack. And so you have the bed plus the rack. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to get it bloody. Uh, you know, I've, I've had it out on a few hunts. Um, I had it on an early archery deer hunt and was really impressed with it. Saw a few things that I wanted to tweak. So I came back home and, and added a few things and, uh, let's put it this way. The razor is going to be in the garage this year and I'm going to try the general and we'll see, uh, see how it compares, but I think it's going to be good. As far as, you know, riding and, you know, smooth and, you know, just being able to really cover country, do you feel like you lose anything in the general compared to the Razor, or is it very, very comparable? It, it's a little bit. I mean, it definitely does not have the top end that the Razor does. You know, with the Razor, I could jump on the highway when I'm going between ranches down there and be cruising along at 65 and not even know it. The general, you're going to know it at about 50. Um, you know, so it, it's still a little bit less, even though it's got the 1,000 uh, engine in it it's just not quite built for the that particular application so you do notice it a little bit it's a little bit stiffer on the trails as far as suspension wise but i can haul a lot more you know it's a heavier machine it's got a little bit longer stance um it's a little bit more stable as far as that's concerned so there, there's a little bit of a trade-off there but it's got adjustable shocks so i can adjust the preload i can adjust the dampening and I can suit it for what it's set up for. When I've got four hunters in there full of packs and everything, I can stiffen everything up and still get from point A to point B without beating us up. When it's just me and a hundred trail cameras in there, I can loosen everything up, soften it up, and fly down the trail. So, how about dust? Um, you know, I have the Ranger crew, and I keep the windshield off of it so that the dust isn't isn't bad. Um, how does the dust compare to say the Razor? So I was really surprised. Um, the general has full four uh, half doors. So in other words, it's up to where your basically arms would sit or your armpit would sit. Right. And I thought for sure it'd just be a dust magnet unless I put a full windshield on the front and the back. I, however, elected, elected not to do that, at least to try it. And each door has a, a full-on weather strip, just like it would on your truck door. And I was amazed at how much dirt and dust that those half doors kept out of the cockpit. It, it's still dusty, um, but as far as compared to my Razor, it's night and day. Like, it, it keeps the dust out so much better of, of the cockpit itself that I've been really impressed with it. And I even put a half windshield on it. Um, and even with the half windshield, which typically creates a pretty good Venturi and creates dust in the cab, it, it did not do it. Um I've been really happy with that aspect, Jay. It keeps yeah. our gear cleaner. It keeps you cleaner. It keeps your passenger cleaner. So. And are you running radial tires, more like truck tires, or what are you running on the on the General? So, so that's one of the benefits of the General XP is it comes with already radial tires. Um, and <laughs> they're, they're different from front to rear. They have a different tread pattern, but they're all the same size. I think they're 31 or 32 inch tires. So they're a full size tire compared to your standard general or razor that has a smaller, you know, 27, 26 inch tire. Um, so they're, they're basically a lot better suited for the off road as well as going up and down the hard pack trail or the, even the pavement because they are a radial tire. 
So it it's got basically everything that you would want to upgrade already on it. And then for 2021, as as typical, then they came out with a couple special edition models of the XP general that if you want to get a camel model you can they come with an extended rack i mean you name it as far as wanting to accessorize it oh you and nick just cost me some money probably (laughs) (laughs) i had a one one thing i would like to add i had a lot of questions on polaris has this thing called the ride command and it i think it's another thousand dollars over the base model or whatever but i had a lot of questions on is this worth it phil i mean you know, because it includes a radio and, and stuff that I really could care less if I have. But one thing I will say about it is it comes with a built-in GPS. No, wait, wait a minute. So you got it. That's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's just a thousand it. bucks added on top. <laughs> yep, I'll take it. Well, now I had to get sold on it, but Nick had I to sell you I'm on happy. it. Yeah, he did. He did. Okay, so what, what are the benefits of it? So it's got a GPS built in it. So, which isn't typically a big deal because we run the GPS on our phones and everything else. But just with the click of touch the screen and you can instantly pull a map up. So instead of sitting there, like if you're going to a waypoint or you're trying to find something in the dark, trying to get from point A to point B. Right. I can look at it in my dash, which is an 11 inch screen compared to my, you know, five inch screen on my phone. Right. The other, the other thing it is you can do is you can follow your tracks back. So it's got like a breadcrumb feature mm-hmm. where, you know, I take off from the truck in the morning and I take 18 different roads and I'm not exactly sure which roads I took getting back when everything looks different in the daylight, I can follow my track back. But the biggest thing I've found for me that makes it 100% worth it is it has onboard diagnostic. So say a check engine light comes on and I'm 38 miles from my truck. I want to know, is this something that's, if I keep driving it, going to make it worse, do more damage? Or do I just need to stop and put five pounds of air in my tire? Right. You can actually do that on board with the ride command and go to your vehicle diagnostics and exactly see what is tripping that light. So that way then you can make an informed decision on, oh, no problem, I can keep driving or I better shut this baby down now. And that alone for me is 100% worth it. Well, that's pretty cool. I'd like to give a shout out to Nick Hader. He's the general manager over at Right Now Goodyear. Um, he's been taking care of Dar and I for several years now and um, just treat, I mean, he's just an awesome guy and treats Hunter it really all sportsmen. Um, he's, he's a hunter himself and, um, made contact with them years ago and, and been super happy. And I know Phil, you went over there and, uh, got this general and, and you've been happy with Nick. So shout out to Nick and anybody out there listening, feel free to, to, uh, contact me or Phil. We can give you Nick's contact info, but he's the general manager over there right now. Goodyear. And I mean, I can't, tell you how many people i've sent over and everyone texts back what a cool guy is and you know just takes care of people so that's that's really neat i'm glad you're having fun with the general i can't wait to uh ride in it and and check it out myself and and um you know you got to keep up with the joneses so you know i've probably got a purchase in my future here the only thing i I would say that for me between the coosteer guiding in mexico and the gould's turkey I do see benefit of having a six seater. Um, yeah. Not that I take six very often, but there are times when I have to pick up guides or what have you, where having that um, 
having that option is a big thing for me. That would be, you know, that would be the only thing that would potentially hold me back from getting a general. I, I can, I could definitely see that Jay. Um, you know, there, there's times, like you say, where you're picking guys up or they might be out roosting birds or you sending them over the hill and you're going to pick them up, walk through or whatever, where you might need that, that, uh, extra two spots that a guy can climb in. However, they better upgrade that ranger, but otherwise you're going to get left in the dust. <laughs> Half the speed. <laughs> Bill, it's always great talking to you. Uh, hope you have a great uh, hunt this coming weekend and uh, look forward to seeing your success. And we'll be chatting at you down the road here, okay? Sounds good, Jay. I really appreciate it, buddy. All right. Sounds good. I want to uh, tell everyone that I'm going to link up in the show notes. If you don't already follow Phil on Instagram, it's Kramer with a C, Kramer Hunts. Uh, on Instagram. So God bless. Take care. Thank you, Jay. God bless. Bye.